Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blood on the Rocks. I'm your host Akshay Taylor and today we're going back to true crime and I'm going to talk about Catherine Wilson who is a British serial killer and the last woman to be hung publicly in London. So not much else to say beforehand. Um, if the order is a little bit different in the last episode and this episode it's because I'm recording from home rather than where I normally am and I've been moving so... I don't think it'll make a difference, but just in case, I'll put it out there. I forgot to say it last time. At the same time, I've tried out editing it a bit differently, so I think I've improved the audio a bit. But yeah, hopefully it's all fine. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? I'm going to cut to music, and be right back. We are back. So, let's talk about Catherine Wilson. She was a British serial killer who ended up being the last woman to be hanged publicly in London. And she was hanged for one murder, but was thought to have been responsible for at least six others. Now, she was born in Boston, Lincolnshire, in 1822. And as an adult, she would work as a nurse, starting in Spalding, Lincolnshire. Though there's not much on whether she was actually trained or qualified. But that's what she did. Her main way of killing people was to poison them with something called colchicine, which is a medicine generally used for treating gout. She was convicted of one murder, but was, but was thought to have committed about at least six and maybe up to nine pe- other people. So, now that we know the main cause of death, let's talk about colchicine. Because you know I love a bit of background. So yeah. Yeah, colchicine is actually a super old medicine. Yeah, It's generally taken from the awesome crocus plant and it was described for treatment of rheumatism and swelling in an ancient egyptian uh, medical papyrus paper uh, called the ebus papyrus which was dated at about 1500 bc and it was first described as a treatment for gout in a book called the materia medica by pedantius dioscorides in the first century and eventually the use of bulb-like corms of colchicum were to treat gout was described at about 550 a.d and it was pretty widespread. It appeared in London around uh, 1618 in the London Pharmacopoeia book. And they were actually bought to North America by Benjamin Franklin, uh, as he also suffered from gout himself. Colchicine itself was isolated for the first time in 1820 by 
French chemists called P.S. Pelletier and J.B. Caventer and was purified as an active ingredient in 1833 by P.L. Geiger, which he named Colchicine. And it's not the main way of treatment from what I can tell for gout now, but it's but it's still an alternative. Like nowadays, it's also used as an anti-inflammatory uh, agent for long-term treatment of Besset's disease, and it's used widely in the treatment of familiar Mediterranean fever, and partially in the treatment of pericarditis. Um, worth noting, I'm not a doctor. There's a chance I don't know what I'm talking about, but I think I do. So, I'm just going to go with it and hope for the best. I think my notes are alright, but there's a lot of medical shit going on. <laughs> That'll die down a bit once we actually get into the main um, part of the notes. So, from what I can tell, it seems somewhat... I'm not going to say common, but like from what I can tell, cardiologists and rheumatologists and uh, primary care physicians might use the drug routinely, but can be... Um, less aware of how life-threatening it can be in high doses. Yeah, from what I can tell, the uh, the number of life-threatening events related to colchicine is likely to be underestimated because of it. But it's possible to lethal with only one month supply, especially in the case of um, people with renal impairments. Now, life-threatening poisoning is pretty rare, with a dose of 40 milligrams being lethal. And like I said, that's a month supply. But life-threatening poisoning is what we're here for. So... Let's talk about side effects. So side effects uh, can include gastrointestinal upset and something called neutrophenia, and it can also damage bone marrow, lead to anemia, and cause hair loss. And it works as a mitotic inhibitor, which, if I remember right, means it slows um, cell division. Uh, So a main side effect associated with all mitotic inhibitors is something called peripheral neuropathy, which is like numbness and tingling in hands and feet due to peripheral nerve damage. Now, those are side effects. Now, let's talk about toxicity. Because with some doses, colchicine can be toxic when ingested, inhaled, or absorbed through the eyes. So it can cause temporary clouding of the cornea before absorption into the body, causing systematic toxicity. Now, symptoms of a colchicine overdose start between 2 and 24 hours after the dose has been ingested and include burning of the mouth and throat, fever, vomiting, diarrhea, and abdominal pain. It can also cause hypovolemic shock, which is when severe blood or fluid loss makes the heart unable to pump enough blood to the body and can lead to organ failure, as a colchicine overdose can cause vascular damage and fluid loss through the gastrointestinal tract, which can be fatal. And if a person doesn't recover, they can enter the last stage of colchicine overdose, which is the multiple system organ failure phase. Which is not what you want, ever. Yeah, that can include kidney damage, low white blood cell counts, um, that can last for several days, anemia, muscular weakness, liver failure, hepatomegaly, which is abnormal enlargement of the liver, bone marrow suppression, thrombocytopenia, which is um, a low blood platelet count, and ascending paralysis, uh, which can lead to potentially fatal respiratory failure. There can also be neurological symptoms, including seizures, confusion, and delirium. In children, it can also cause hallucinations. And if someone recovers, recovery begins within six to eight days, with more effects as organ functions start returning to normal. Whereas long-term colchicine toxicity can include a dangerously lowered white blood cell count, aplastic anemia, uh, alopecia, or alopecia, I'm not sure, rashes, uh, purpura, 
vesicular dermatitis, kidney damage, anuria, uh, peripheral neuropathy, and myopathy. And there's no specific antidote for colchicine, so general supportive care is used in cases of overdose. But anyway, that's colchicine. Now you know what it does. Let's talk about Catherine Wilson. So, back to her. So by 1850, she was the housekeeper for a retired sea captain called Peter Mower, um, who lived in Boston, in Boston, Lincolnshire, not America, which even I keep getting confused about, so bear with it. And um, he suffered from rheumatism and gout, and had been prescribed colchicine for, um, for this. And while looking after him, Catherine managed to get quite close to him and, and persuaded him to change his will in her favour. And soon after, in October 1854, he died after a two-week illness. Uh, now, this death wasn't regarded as suspicious, as it could have been accidental, with Mr. Mower possibly taking an overdose. And after the funeral, Catherine moved to London. So while in London, she started a relationship with a Mr. James Dixon, and claiming to be brother and sister, they moved into a house owned by a Mrs. Maria Soames in Albert Street, Bloomsbury, uh, towards the end of 1855. And Maria Soames was a uh, wealthy widow who owned several properties. Now, James was a heavy drinker, and um, according to some source I've read, also um, a wife beater, but that's only but that was only in one of my sources, so I'm not 100% on that. Um, but a heavy drinker is in there across everything. But knowing the time and age, I could believe it. But regardless of that, at some point she got fed up of his heavy drinking and behaviour around it. So she gave him colchicine, and he came down with an illness soon after. So he saw a doctor who diagnosed him with rheumatic fever, and Catherine admitted to him that she was treating him with colchicine, though obviously not to that dose. And two days after this doctor's visit, in June 1856, James Dixon was dead. Catherine then wrote to his uncle, Mr. Atkinson, and told him that he had died of consumption, as this was a common cause of death at the time. And for the people who don't know, consumption is generally a wasting disease. Most of the time it means tuberculosis, or TB. She also managed to convince the doctor not to do an autopsy, as she told him that Dixon had a horror of being cut up after death. And the doctor was like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. Which seemed kind of reasonable at the time, I guess. But, um... So, late summer 1856 comes around, and Mrs. Soames was away on holiday, and while she's away, her house was reportedly burgled, and her silver was stolen along with some of Catherine's possessions. At this time, the two women were pretty close, and Maria guaranteed a loan for Catherine. But also at this time, uh, Miss Soames's daughters uh, claimed that she'd begun to worry about money, and was forced to borrow £10 from her brother in October. Which is no small amount of money. Um, £10 in 1856 is just over £1,000 nowadays. Or about $1,350. And on the 15th of October, she uh, had tea with her daughters and appeared to be in good health. However, the next day, on the morning of the 16th, she started complaining about feeling unwell, and was nursed by Catherine. Two days later, on the 18th, she was dead, with Catherine spreading a rumour that she had committed suicide. Mrs. Holmes's brother, Samuel Barnes, was suspicious, and so was her doctor, Dr. Whitbourne, so they felt that there should be an inquest, and a post-mortem was uh, performed. 
though this didn't come up with anything, and it was recorded that the death had been caused by heart disease and peritonitis, and Maria pretty much died broke. And afterwards, Catherine even had the gold who produced an IOU, which was allegedly signed by Maria for £10. Seems suspicious yet? Well, there's more. So, let's go to 1859. So Catherine, uh, she still visited Boston, her hometown, and was friends with someone called Mrs. Jackson, though I didn't see her first name. But Now, she visited quite regularly, though this time, Mrs. Jackson had withdrawn £120 from her bank and presumably had told Catherine. Four days later, dead. Now, 1860, Mrs. Anne Atkinson, the James of Aunt Dixon. No, let's go back a bit. Um, Mrs. Anne Atkinson, the aunt of James Dixon. So, uh, Miss Atkinson uh, would often make annual trips to London in connection with her millinery business in Kirby Lonsdale, and she would sometimes visit Catherine. During her visit in 1859, Mrs. Atkinson's purse disappeared, containing over £50. So she was a bit suspicious, but not enough for her to do anything about it. And she also visited Catherine the next year, in October 1860. A few days later, her husband received a telegram from Catherine, which read, Come at once, wife seriously ill. So Mrs. Atkinson did what he was told, and came up to London. And when he arrived, he found that his wife was on her deathbed and she died the following day, on the 19th of October, at the age of 55. So on top of her purse being robbed in 1859, uh, most of a pretty large sum that she had in 1860 had also gone, leaving about £20 left, uh, which Catherine gave to her husband. And once again, there was no post-mortem autopsy, as Catherine convinced Mr Atkinson that it was his wife's wish not to be opened up in death. Her next victim came in 1862, who would also be her last, and it was a Mrs. Sarah Carnell who had employed her as a nurse and companion. So Mrs. Carnell was separated from her husband, and Catherine perceived her as lonely and vulnerable. And as she did before, she persuaded Miss Carnell to alter her will in her favour, and shortly after, she bought her a soothing draft, saying, Drink it down, love, it'll warm you. However, this time it didn't have colchicine in it, and the effects weren't as subtle. Subtle, he says. Well, I mean, I mean the, the effects kicked in a lot more suddenly. As, as Sarah took a drink, she complained that it burned her mouth, and she spat it out. And then she realised, hmm, that burnt holes in my bedsheets. And Catherine pretty much immediately fled, which obviously raised suspicion. And shortly after, Sarah contacted the chemist who had provided the, quote, medicine who assured her that no mistake had been made, and so they went to the police. And she had been given vitriol, which nowadays is better known as sulfuric acid, which you never want anywhere near human parts. Now, one source says she was, ar- she was arrested a couple days later, but most of them seem to say it was a few weeks later. But I think after reading a few of them, I'd probably place it around um, four to six weeks later, um, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, in April 1862, she was charged at Marylebone Police Court with attempted murder. But she was acquitted as the jury believed her story that the chemist had given her the acid error. Though it didn't really help much as she was immediately rearrested by a detective from Lincolnshire on the suspicion of murders of seven people and was remanded in custody while the authorities exhumed the bodies of her known probable victims and found poison in seven of them. Yeah. But before we get onto the main trial... Let's um let's talk about sulfuric acid, uh, for people that don't know. Like, 
I've handled concentrates for acid before in chemistry classes, and it's not pleasant. <laughs> like wearing a proper lab coat, um, I remember getting a drop or two on it, and it seemed fine at first. But as soon as you added water to wash it off, suddenly these holes kind of expanded, <laughs> and that would be because it's it does dissolve in water, but the reaction between sulfuric acid and water is highly exothermic, which in simple terms means it gives out a lot of heat, and it's. Corrosiveness can generally be attributed to its strong acidic nature, and when at high concentrations, it's uh, also its dehydrating and oxidizing properties, along with readily absorbing water vapor from the air. And yeah, it can co- on contact, it can cause severe chemical burns and even secondary thermal burns, being dangerous even at moderate concentrations. Though it's still super important. Like um, one thing I read was um, that. Generally speaking, a nation's sulfuric acid production is a good indicator of its industrial strength. But that's what I was talking about anyway. I was going to talk about some symptoms. Like on top of severe pain on contact, symptoms from swallowing can include a, a difficulty breathing due to throat swelling, burns in the mouth and throat, drooling, fever, rapid development of low blood pressure, severe pain in the mouth and throat, speech problems, vomiting with blood, and vision loss. And even though it's not relevant to this, uh, I'll just throw it out there, as there's also symptoms from breathing in the fumes. As it, like I said, it's super dangerous. And symptoms from breathing in uh, the fumes can include bluish skin, lips and fingernails, breathing difficulty, body weakness, chest pain, choking, coughing, sometimes with blood, dizziness, low blood pressure, rapid pulse, and shortness of breath. And generally, how well a person does after ingestion depends on how fast it's diluted and neutralised. Like, it can cause extensive damage to the mouth, throat, eyes, lungs, esophagus, nose, and stomach. And damage to the esophagus and stomach can occur for several weeks after the acid is swallowed, with treatment sometimes requiring the removal of part of the esophagus and stomach. If it enters the lungs, it can cause both immediate and long-term serious damage. And it can cause death as long as a month after the poisoning. Now I'm going to describe what it kind of looks like. But if you don't really want to hear it, then um, just skip ahead like a minute or so. Like 30 seconds a minute. It'll be fine. Um, okay, so. So sulfuric so acid poisoning generally uh, shows itself as a brown to black streak from the angle of the mouth. Brown to black vomit. A brown to black stomach wall. A black swollen tongue chalky white teeth, a blotting paper appearance of the stomach um, mucus lining, ulceration of the esophagus, perforation of the stomach, Yeah, and the stomach can resemble a black spongy mass uh, on the post-mortem autopsy. Not something you want to drink, ever. There were some particularly unpleasant images when I um, was researching this, and um, well, I'm not saying don't look it up, but I'm, but I'm saying just be careful if you are, because it's it's not for the squeamish. But yeah, anyway, let's um, get to the uh, trial again. Oh, one second. I'm going to quickly... Yeah, let's jump back to the first trial, because I've missed some bits. Sorry about that. So, um, the drink she'd given to Miss Carnell contained enough sulfuric acid to kill 50 people, which was kind of a big thing for me to miss. <laughs> but yeah, she was acquitted because, as the judge Lord Bramwell, in the words of Wilson's lawyer, Montague Williams pointed out that the theory of defence was an untenable one, as had the bottle contained the poison when the prisoner received it, it would have become red hot or would have burst before she arrived at the invalid's bedside. 
However, there is no accounting for juries, and at the end of the judges summing up, to the astonishment of probably of almost everyone in court, she was found not guilty. Yeah, and like I said, she was quickly rearrested afterwards, and was charged with the murder of seven former patients. But she was only tried in the case of Miss Soames, and she denied all charges. So she was tried again on the 25th of September, 1862, before Mr. Justice Spiles, and was once again defended by Montague Williams. During this trial, it was alleged that seven people who Williams had lived with as a nurse had died shortly after rewriting their wills to leave her some money. But this evidence wasn't admitted, uh, for some reason. So it was decided to proceed with the case of Miss Soames first, as it appeared the strongest. So it was decided to proceed with the case of Miss Maria Soames first, as it seemed the strongest case. So Catherine Wilson was brought to trial at the Old Bailey on the 22nd of September, 1862, before Mr. Justice Spiles, and was prosecuted by Mr. Clark and Mr. Beasley, and defended once again by Montague Williams, along with Mrs. Oppenheim, and a Mr. Wharton. And although almost all of them had suffered from gout, evidence of colchicine poisoning was given by toxicologist Alfred Swain Taylor, with the defence being that the poison couldn't reliably be detected after so long. And in the sum up, uh, the judge said to the jury, Gentlemen, if such a state of things as this were allowed to exist, no living person could sit down to eat a meal in safety. The jury found Catherine guilty, and Mr. Justice Bowles donned a black cap and pronounced the sentence of death on her, and she was returned to Newgate Prison and lodged in the condemned cell. After the trial, uh, Mr. Justice Bowles requested that the defender, Montague Williams, come to his chambers, where he told him, the quote, I sent for you to tell you that you did the case remarkably well, but it was no good. The facts were too strong. I prosecuted Rush for the murder of Mr. Jeremy. I defended Daniel Good, and I defended several other notable criminals when I was on the Norfolk circuit. But if it will be of any satisfaction to you, I may tell you that in my opinion, you have today defended the greatest criminal that ever lived. Catherine Wilson's punishment would be the first death sentence handed down to a woman by the Central Criminal Court in 14 years. She made no confession and was completely un unrepentant, despite efforts of the ordinary the Reverend Mr. Davis, and the teams of two female warders who guarded her around the clock. On Saturday the 18th of October, the Under-Sheriff of Middlesex, Mr. Mackerel, went to the Home Office and was told there would be no reprieve. Even the Society for the Ab Abolition of Capital Punishment considered their case a lost cause and didn't get involved. On the Sunday before her execution, she twice attended services in the Chapel of Newgate and reportedly slept well on the Sunday night, despite storms and heavy rain outside. Catherine Wilson was scheduled to hang on 8am on Monday, the 20th of October, 1862, and a crowd of an estimated 20,000 people had gathered outside the Old Bailey to watch the execution. The Sheriff of Middlesex, Miss Lawrence, demanded Catherine's body from the Governor, Mr Jonas, yeah, and then she was taken to a room to be pinioned by William Calcraft. She showed no emotion during the process. And when Mr. Jones asked her if she had anything to confess as this was her last chance, she simply replied, I am innocent. And officials would guide Catherine up the steps of the gallows, and the bolt was withdrawn and she seemed to die almost instantly without a struggle. And yeah, that was Catherine Wilson. Um, hope you enjoyed that story, and I think that's pretty much all I have. So, we're going to cut to music and be right back. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And we are back. So, um, hope you enjoyed that story. Kind of incredible that she got away with so many of them, honestly. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, and actually, I did realise that I forgot to mention something. As you can get the full trial transcript at oldbaileyonline.org. Like, if you Google her name and that and that line, it should come up. So yeah, let's uh, wrap up. Uh, my plugs this week is the murder.ly website network. You can find a bunch of really cool true crime and dark podcasts around over there. I'm also going to keep an eye out for our upcoming guests, which should have those episodes out probably next month, I guess, um, if all goes well, as they should be recorded at the, towards the end of the month. What else? What else? What else? Uh, if you want to support the show, you can check out the Patreon at patreon.com slash blood on the rocks. That would be super, super appreciated if you, if you could. And you can support us for as low as $1 a month. Uh, and you can get some cool goodies over there. Uh, you can check out our social media at facebook.com slash blood on the rocks. Twitter and Instagram at the bloody rocks. Email at botrpodcast at gmail.com. A Discord link, which I'll put in the description since it's just a string of letters in the link. And I also got a couple of new reviews, which I'll read out. Because I always like to talk about myself, apparently. Yeah. The first one is from a Firmington Murder podcast with the title I'm Only Living Five Because I Can't Leave Six with a five star review. Uh, and it reads Actually, hard worker, great researcher. British accent, enough said. Six star. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. And the next one is from. The next one is from uh, one of the guys over at Conspired Podcast, which reads Great podcast, five star. And it reads, a very intriguing and well-researched podcast. It's great. I have two words for this podcast. Bunga bunga. In the words of one of our previous episodes, um, the Sultan of Pokes. So uh, thanks so much for that review as well. Yeah, it means a lot. Um, I think on that, we can wrap up. So thank you for listening. Rate, review, subscribe. Don't forget to tell your friends. And have a great week. I'll see you soon.